Some of you might be from a tradition where the word of the Lord, what do you say after that? Thanks be to God, right? It's a, uh, for hundreds of years, the church has done that after the reading of scripture so that we appreciate uh, that in hearing God's word, that it's from God. And uh, what we are going to do each week through this Sermon on the Mount, this Beatitude series, is we're going to hear somebody read Scripture because we want to imagine it. We want to imagine Jesus sitting around the crowd and teaching, and then we will explain, we'll try and understand, interpret the Word, and then the most important part of it is we want to go live the story. We want to be sent to go and be God's people. Um, so before we jump into the word, a couple of things. Um, I am very excited about the next two weeks. We have guest speakers the next two weeks. Um, part of the reason is this afternoon I leave, hopefully, will of God, to fly down to Chicago. The Covenant denomination has an annual midwinter meeting. Uh, I'll be down there, and uh, for you college students here, I'll be doing what you guys do. I will be sitting in a classroom all day, taking my first class in a long time. And uh, it's part of what takes sort of transfer your ordination into uh, our denomination, uh, but be down there. And so next Sunday, a friend of mine, Carrie Gleason, uh, is going to preach. The next two weeks, we have women preaching, which we're in a denomination that for 30 plus years has ordained women, which is, I think, so cool. And uh, Carrie is around 30. She is a single female and an amazing, amazing speaker. So she'll be preaching next week. And then Merritt Sawyer will be coming in the week after that, as was said before. One of the, one of the things I, 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 I think we can learn from Merritt, not only does she lead the Paul Carlson partnership, but um, before she took that position, she was uh, like, like the rest of you sitting out there, sitting in a church, and she was at a church called Menlo Park, which is where John Ortberg is the sen senior pastor, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and she helped their church figure out what it meant to do sort of big mission partner partnerships together. So we not only want to partner in the Congo where the Covenant Church is and with the Paul Carlson partnership, but we want to learn from Merit. What does that look like? How do we do that effectively? So with all that said, uh, we are in a series, second week of it, called Blessed. We did an overview last week. We're going to look at the first five verses this week. But um, a couple of things as we jump into it. One of my heart goals in this um, for us as a church, as we go through this short little series around the Beatitudes, is that we get messy. Usually you don't hear that at church, but one of my real goals is that we get a little messy. I was talking with a Dave Johnson this summer when he was here preaching, and Dave's been in ministry for 30 plus years, and he was talking about <clears throat> the Beatitudes. And he said the Beatitudes, what we're going to look at, they're about getting real about your pain and your struggle and uh, being honest with it. And he went on to say, and I absolutely love this, he said, when you get out there what's in here, how it's received will define the type of church you're in. And I want us to be the type of church that when we put out there the pain, the struggle, what's actually going on in our lives, not just how we look on the outside, when we put it out there, that it's not only received, it's embraced, and it's loved, and it's comforted. Um, Andy Stanley, in his book that he wrote this last year called Deep and Wide, about what the church is, talked about the same thing. He said, the church is at its best when it's messy. When pain and brokenness and sin and struggle, when all of that is out there so that in the context of community and with the presence of Jesus Christ, something can actually happen in our actual lives. The lives where all of that sits. So that's my hope. Last week, to give you a little context, we did an overview and we said to, to understand it, you have to go to the previous chapter, the end of chapter 4 of Matthew. 
there's a couple very important things. One is Jesus is inviting people to follow him. They're called disciples. And that's one of the most important things Jesus does time and time again through his ministry. He invites men and women to come and follow him. As a church, that is one of the most important things we do. We invite people to follow Jesus Christ. That is the thing we do to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. And then right after he does that, he goes and he's healing people. He's traveling around and he teaches about the kingdom of God. Again and again, over a hundred times, the kingdom of God is talked about in the New Testament. And that should raise an alarm for us to say, what is that? What does it mean for us to be about the kingdom of God, to be in the kingdom of God, where God's reign, where God's control and authority is right? And I, we're in this time, we said last week, we're in this time where there, there are points where we get a glimpse of it, right? There's points in our life where we are living in such a way, we're in community in such a way, where we're bringing about justice in such a way that we see the reign of God as a reality. But it's not fully there. It's not fully there. There's death, there's pain, there's relational struggle, there's sorrow all around us. And so we live in this, I get a glimpse of it, but it's not fully here now. But we believe at the end of the day, one day, it will be fully here. With all that said, let me pray before we jump in Matthew 5. Jesus By your grace and through your love and by the power of your name, use your word in our lives. Pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 5 says this in verse 1, when Jesus saw, when Jesus saw the crowd, it means he actually paid attention. The word has a little more than just visually saying, he actually paid attention. He saw a group of people and we said last week, Jesus is sitting outside teaching to a group of people. He pays attention to who's in the crowd. He understands who is around him. He went up on the hillside and sat down. His disciples came to him. He took a deep breath and began teaching. And here's what he said. We're going to ask this question through each of these verses. Who is Jesus talking about? If you remember last week, we said what these blesseds or wonderful news, as was read in this, this passage, when he says blessed, it isn't some future thing. It isn't some, something that we need to sort, you know, how, do, how can I be poor in spirit? How can I be meek? No, when he says blessed, it's in the indicative mood, which means it's actually true in the group of people that he's looking at. He's looking at actual people in the crowd, and perhaps even groups of people in the crowd, and he's saying, you are blessed. Wonderful news to you, even though you feel like you're on the outs, wonderful news to you because of what I'm saying. So who is he talking to? That's the question we're going to ask. And then what's the promise? Because Jesus is giving some pretty intense promises here. Verse 3 says, Wonderful news or blessed for the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. So who are the poor in spirit? This word in the book of Luke, it just says blessed are the poor. And I think sometimes we hear blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and we get this idea in us that we have to become poor. How do I give away everything? How do I become poor so that I can be embraced by God? But it's intriguing if we take the whole of this poor, poor in spirit, we get something a little deeper. That this is actually talking about a group of people that Jesus is looking at who have nothing. Economically, they are struggling. But these are people poor in spirit. Commentators say that in spirit talks about that this is a group of people who are faithful, trusting God type of people. They really understand what it means to trust God even though they are without much when it comes to money. 
in the first century and before even in the Old Testament, this group of people had a name. They're called the Anawim. And these were actual people in Jewish society who were faithful. They were good followers of Yahweh. They did the thing that was right. And somehow at the end of the day, listen to this, because I think these, these groups of people are among us today. I think the poor in spirit, they, 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 they did the faithful following God thing, but yet still couldn't get ahead financially. If you have your Bible, turn over to Luke 2. In Luke 2, Simeon is one of those people. They were waiting for God to make things right. They were struggling. They were trying to pay their bills, and they couldn't. And, 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 and yet, at the end of the day, they remained faithful. Simeon is an example of it. Verse 25, it says this. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. That, most of first century Judaism's in the same place. They're under Roman rule. They're waiting for a deliverer. They're waiting for a king to come. The Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. And that, that verse isn't like, did, did he just grab baby Jesus out of Mary's arms and just get excited about it? So he takes the baby in his arms, praise God, sovereign Lord. Now let your servant die in peace of you as promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. This is a guy who had nothing but yet was faithfully waiting, was faithfully about what God was about and the promise given to him. So this is where it gets interesting. The promise given to this person who economically has nothing, even though he's living faithfully as a follower of God, the promise is you will be given the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, that's the ultimate hope of Israel. When we, we hear the word heaven, we often think about a mansion or cloud in the skies, gold streets. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is where God's reign is fully happening. Heaven will be this, Revelation 21. Heaven is actually coming to earth one day when this will be made fully right. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. For those who are economically struggling, who were being faithful to God in the midst of that challenge, who were hoping that one day the promise of a land, that their land would be theirs again, that there would be a good and right king again, that God's people would be holy again, the promise is just that. And like we said last week, it sits in tension. Because the reality for the poor in spirit here in the first century were actually out in the crowd and Jesus was talking to them. And it's some of you too. It's some of you who are being as faithful as you can. You're following Jesus. You're doing the right thing. And yet you can't get ahead. The promise is there's a future hope that is good. And you may get a glimpse of it now. You may not give a glimpse of it now. But there's a future hope that is good. And it's right. And as you faithfully follow God, even in the midst of this, you will fully be a part of that. And in fact, not only will you be a part of that, you give the rest of us a glimpse of what it looks like for the people that will be part of the kingdom of God. That we trust God no matter what. We put our hope in God even when themes seem out of control. So the poor in spirit, kingdom of God. Next verse. 
wonderful news, or blessed, wonderful news for the mourners. You're going to be comforted. And it's important to understand the mourners here, it's not just somebody sitting there bawling their eyes out. These are people who have had experiences of injustice, of tragedy, of death. And in the midst of that, this word carries the idea of somebody who is experiencing intense, deep pain and still has the ability to care for other people in the same position. You've seen them, haven't you? You've seen the person who just got diagnosed with cancer and yet still has the ability to walk alongside other people in the exact same place. You've seen the person who just lost their job and still has the ability to care for and to pour into people in a similar situation. These are people who not only suffer, they love those who are suffering. But yet, let's talk about the real part of this. In the Old Testament, they would be like the psalmist who would say, How long, oh God? I see death, I see pain, I'm experiencing it, I'm in the middle of it, I'm trying to comfort people in it. How long do I have to sit in this? And the promise for them, the promise for you who are this person, is comfort. Which sounds good, right? To be comforted when you're in pain sounds really good, and and yet, what, what does that mean? If you have your Bibles, turn back to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verses 1-4. through 4, This is the passage that in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth and stands up to read, Jesus says this about Himself. This is what Jesus is about. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Jesus is saying here that part of what he's about is to bring comfort to the people who are in these places. To those who are mourning and walking alongside those who are mourning for injustice, for tragedy, for death, whatever it might be, part of the reason, think about this, guys. So often we minimize why Jesus came to the earth. Well, he came to save me from my sins. That's what he came. Yeah, that's part of it. But what if he also came to comfort? Those of you who sit here this morning and that pain in you is so deep that you will be driving along the road and have to pull over and tears coming down your face because something's in you that is so painful. And yet you still walk alongside others in the same place. There is a God, and the promise here, there is a God in Jesus Christ who has come to comfort you. And again, you sense the comfort, you get the comfort, but we don't fully have it now. We get glimpses of it. And then the last one. Verse 5 says this. Wonderful news for the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. The meek are people who suffer, who've been humbled, but yet, listen to this, this is a hard one. They suffer, they've been humbled, but they don't seek 
revenge. They don't seek revenge. They trust in God's timing. They trust in God's just, justice instead of running ahead. Isn't that, I mean, let's be honest, this is hard. I'm not this person. In the first century, last week we talked about there were zealots, and the zealots were the people who were going to take up their sword, and they were going to say, injustice is all around us. We don't have our land. We want it back, so we will kill to get our land. And then there were the Essenes who had just retreated from society and said, you know what, there's not a chance that we're going to get what we deserve, so let's just go hide in the caves. And this group of people, the meek, are the ones who get it. They get that it may not make sense. That God's timing and God's justice may not be seen right now, but their posture is to wait. And the promise is they inherit the earth. See, in the first century, if you were a faithful Jew, you staked your claim in Genesis 12. That God had called Abraham and all of Israel, and he was going to bless with land, with a king, that they would be a blessing. But they staked their claim on this. And so the promise of inheriting the earth, once again, is one day, one day, the injustice that is all around you, the land you don't have, the oppressive rulers that are running rampant around you, all will be made right. Continue to trust in my timing, even in the midst of the tension. And as I read down through this, I hope as you read down through this, a couple of thoughts hit me as we walk away. One is, for some of you in this room, and it's a question, for those of you who are the poor in spirit, for those of you who are mourning, for those of you who are the actual meek, how do you or can you hear this wonderful news? I know I may be pretty new around here, but I'm getting to know a lot of you. I know that there are those among us who are the poor in spirit. You are faithfully following God, and yet you cannot seem to get ahead financially. I know there are some among us that mourn. Tragedy, death, disease. Not only do you mourn, you walk alongside others who mourn, and it's, it's so cool. And there's meek among us. People who actually trust that God's going to bring his kingdom in the way that he's going to bring it. And I think the tension for you is the tension between despair and hope. You sit here now and I think you believe the promises of God. I think you actually trust them more than I even do. And I think the invitation is to wait and to trust, even when despair seems to be getting the upper hand. To trust that God's story actually turns out the way God's story will turn out. That one day things will be made right, and in the midst of it, you sit in tension. In your pain, sometimes you receive comfort that it gets the job done. But often, you wait and you hope. You wait and you hope and you trust. And it's in that, it's in that that you show the rest of us what the kingdom is like. 
But then there's another group among us, many of us, and we may not be the poor in spirit, we may not be the mourners, we may not be the weak, but we are people who are trying to follow Christ. So the question for me becomes, how do we see and respond to those in the same way Jesus did? Because the invitation that Jesus gave his disciples is true for us. As the Father sent me, so send I you. We are called to be for the world. We are called to be for the poor in spirit. We are called to be for the meek. We are called to be for the mourners. Exactly what Jesus was. So how do we see and that, that, that's, that's some of the first step. How do we actually see? How do we not just look at, but how do we see those among us who are in those places? And it's not specific to age. There are poor in spirit. There are mourners. There are meek who are in junior high and high school in their 20s and their 40s and their 60s and their 80s. This is not age specific. So how do we get this lens to see as Jesus saw? And then as we do that, as, as we ask God and God gives us those eyes, how do we respond? How do we walk alongside? How do we act for the people that Jesus blesses? Because in doing that, in doing that, we get and we show more and more what the kingdom of God is like. And friends, when we do that, Back to the beginning, when we get some of that struggle and some of that pain and some of the mess of our lives out in the open, and we do it in the context of community with Jesus Christ at the center of it, we show people a church that actually matters. We see lives restored in ways that actually matter. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, I imagine you looking at the group of people that I get to look at this morning. And I imagine that you see the eyes of those who mourn, the hearts of those that are meek. Lord, I think you see the pain of the poor in spirit. And so God, for us as a community, for anybody in here who's wondering about this whole Jesus thing, God, I pray that they would see the beauty of a God who comes to all of us, loves us, and invites everyone to follow him. And for the rest, God, I pray that you would do the good work of helping us to live in that tension, but trust and hope and await in you. In your name, amen.